Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. So good to see all of you here in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, and if you are joining with us online, so thankful that you are doing that as well. As here we are on the last Sunday of February, uh, on the cusp of March. And I'll tell you what, March is truly coming in like a lion, isn't it? Here we are at last day. It seems like winter decided that it wanted to go away. We might be touching 80 degrees today. And as I was driving in this morning uh, uh, through all the fog and wiping my window, I noticed all this yellow pollen just smear right off the window. I was like, okay, well, here we are. It's springtime. And I am uh, I'm thankful for that. I, you, know, I, you know how much I love snow. Uh, I got to see a little bit of it up in Tennessee, so I'm ready for spring now. So I'm all good. So bring it on. I've started the Flonase uh, for all of the uh, allergies that are coming, so I'm thankful for that. But thank you guys for being here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. We are thankful that you're with us. We're going to continue in our series in Philippians. So if you would, please turn it in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. And while you're turning there, a couple of quick announcements for you. Our women's ministry is going to begin this Tuesday night. It's going to be a Zoom class. We're excited to see that ramp up. If you are interested in that, ladies, there's a sign-up in the back sheet, uh, back of the uh, of the sanctuary, but you can also reach out to Heather. Heather, wave your hand. If you just catch her after service and say, I'd like to be a part, there is still time to do that. Also, Infuge is coming up. Uh, this is our summer trip, mission trip for our students. So if you have a, uh, a high school age student, a middle school age student, uh, or if you have uh, one of those in your life, Sign up for Infuge. You can do that at the back. Reach out to Jason. That's coming up very soon. We'd love to try to get as many people signed up as we could before March 15. Well, today, I don't know if you saw me post this up on Facebook, but I said, how can the movie Cool Runnings teach us how to be worthy citizens of heaven? And that's what I've titled the sermon today, Living as Worthy Citizens of Heaven. But I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cool Runnings. It came out in 1993. I see some people going, yeah, it's a classic. Believe it or not, it's now a 28-year-old classic, but that makes you feel old. The 90s didn't, doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it is. But the whole movie is about the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team. And it was produced by Walt Disney Pictures, and of course, it's the true story of this team. And they were actually pretty close to what happened. Of course, they changed a little bit for comedy and for drama. But what was fascinating is that Jamaica decided that they wanted to field a bobsled team in the Calgary Winter Olympics. Now, they're a tropical country. So they have no snow. They never see snow, but they wanted to field the team. And the reason behind it was is that they wanted to be in the Olympics, and they knew that from their country, they had top-tier athletes, and they said, if we can compete in the Summer Olympics, we can compete in the Winter Olympics. And so they began to put together a bobsled team. One of the reasons why is that there's a sport in Jamaica that is like cart racing where they push carts downhill and they said, if we can do that, we can do bobsledding. Of course, they began to train and they didn't have any snow to train in. And so these guys are pushing sleds across grass, all these other things. And so as they entered into the 1988 Olympics, they were the underdogs. And as they come into it, they need to qualify to be able to 
actually race against all the other countries. But as they came into the Olympics, they began to capture the world's attention because here are these grand underdogs coming into the Winter Olympics. And for the most part, it was mostly disastrous until the team gelled together as a team. And what's amazing is they went through all these different time trials and all these other things. Things were not going well until they came to the last run. And in that last run, the team really gelled as a unit, and they qualified for the Olympics. And then as they began racing, every time they started, they got better. They got a little faster. And the world started taking notice of the Jamaican bobsled team. And then in their last run, they take off with one of the best times of the Calgary Olympics that year. But as they were entering one of the most treacherous turns, their bobsled broke. See, coming from a tropical country, they didn't have a bobsled, so they had to get one once they got to Canada, and they got an old one. The front ski began to break off. And if you go back and watch the video, the wreck is horrendous. As they smash into the side wall, since they were new to the sport, they hadn't, not all of the team had their heads tucked down. And you can see one guy whose neck is just being wrenched as it goes down this bobsled track at 60 miles per hour. Once the wreck is over and the crews are coming up to the sled, each of the members get out and they want to finish the race. And in the movie, you'll see they grab their bobsled, they put it on their shoulders and say, we've got to finish, and they carry it across the finish line. And if you go back and watch the actual Olympics, they don't carry it, but they still take the sled and they cross the finish line to the applause of all who are present and the entire world. Though they did not finish, though they were nowhere close to being the victors, they won the 1988 Olympics that year. The whole world was cheering for the Jamaican bobsled team. And in nearly every Olympic since, they fielded a bobsled team and have done relatively well. So the question I pose to you today that I pose on Facebook is, how does Cool Runnings help us understand how to be worthy citizens of heaven? And you'll see me intertwine that through the rest of the message. So if you have found Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, will you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word? It says this, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Let's pray. Mighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to be in your house. Father, to worship together. Lord, I pray now that your spirit would fall on this place. Lord, that you would touch every heart. Father, that we would see what it is to live as worthy citizens of heaven. 
Father, that we would come together in unity, contending for the faith in Jesus Christ, not being frightened by our enemies, but Father, chasing after you. Lord, I pray that you would speak now and move me out of the way, Lord, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we approach the text today, verses 27 through 30 are actually one long sentence in the Greek. And what's beautiful and amazing about the way Paul writes is that he actually brings out two thoughts that meld together in a beautiful metaphor, not only how we can live together as citizens of heaven, but also how they are metaphors for one another. And that is citizenship and athleticism, being a part of a team. The first thing I want to point out is this. Paul calls us to be worthy citizens. The call to worthy citizenship. Look again at the first part of verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Citizens. And it may be that in your translation you don't see that word, citizens of heaven. But in the Greek, that's what's being pulled out. Paul is saying to the Philippians that they need to live as citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel. Now, citizenship, especially in that time, was a big deal, certainly as it applied to Rome. See, to be a Roman citizen, a full Roman citizen, mean that you had the full protection of the law of Rome. And the people of Philippi, the city of Philippi being a colony of Rome, not everyone in that colony would automatically be full citizens. And so the desire of this colony would to seek after and be a full citizen of Rome. So much so that the city of Philippi was very nationalistic towards Rome. They loved Rome. They adopted all the culture of Rome, and they wanted that citizenship that came with being a colony of Rome and having all of that full protection under Roman citizenship. But here's the thing. Part of being a worthy citizen of Rome was to honor Caesar as both Lord and Savior. So if you were to fully be a citizen of Rome, you had to pay homage to the God King, Caesar, and see him as Lord and Savior, which helps us understand why Paul is saying we need to be citizens of heaven and not of Rome. Because our allegiance, our Lord and Savior, is Jesus Christ and not Caesar. So he's saying to the people of Philippi, do not look to the government, do not look to Rome to be a full citizen of, because you are already a citizen of heaven. And he says, not only are you citizens, but live worthy in that way. The word worthy carries with it the connotation of a measuring scale. To be worthy of something is to say, if I were to put something of value on one side of the scale, then my actions need to balance that value on the other side. 
to be worthy of this great thing. We can also understand it, and that's why he brings athletics into this. We can understand when we are worthy of a team. Think of, again, the bobsledding team. If you are worthy to wear the jersey of the bobsled team, then that means that your actions on that team, your practice, your discipline, your efforts enhance the team so that you are worthy to wear that jersey. But take it a step further, thinking again of an Olympics, that you are also representing a country, and that as a team, as an individual, that you are worthy to represent the flag of that country on the podium if you are to win, that your actions are worthy of that nation. And so Paul is saying the same thing to the people of Philippi. Live worthy of the gospel of Christ so that when you stand on the podium, it is not the national anthem of Rome that plays. It is the anthem of heaven itself. And that you stand worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that it is His banner that you are raising up at that time, worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, live your life first as a citizen of heaven under the flag of Jesus Christ and not under the flag of Rome, not under the flag of the United States, but under the banner of Jesus. And as we're going to see very soon, when you stand under the banner of Jesus, when your citizenship is first in heaven, you're going to stand out amongst the citizens of the country that you live in. And that, not in a good way, but in a negative way, when your primary focus is Jesus. That brings me to the second thing I want to point out today, the qualifications of worthy citizenship. We can see them very easily here in the second part of 27 and the first part of 28. He counts them out for us. He says, then whether I come to see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are one, standing firm in one spirit, two, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, and three, not being frightened in any way by your opponents." So here are the three things that he speaks of, qualifications of worthy citizenship, the first of which is this, stand united. He says here, stand firm, stand firm. What that means literally is to be locked arm in arm, to hold fast to one another. Thinking again of athletics, to be together as teammates. I want you to think again of the Jamaican bobsled team, Cool Runnings. Here you have, in a perfect example, there are individuals that make up this team. But when it is go time, this team moves together as a unit. They are stepping side by side, standing firm with each other, prepared for the goal. They move together not as individuals. And this is what Paul is saying. We are to stand firm, stand united as brothers and sisters. And he says there is one way by which we do this, through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is Christ and His Spirit 
that is the engine and the power by which we stand united as teammates and citizens of heaven. So standing together, united. The second thing is this. We are to race together. We are to run the race together. Notice what he says here, one accord. You guys know the old joke. We all know what car all the disciples drove. It was a Honda because they were together in one accord. I'm glad that you're laughing at that because that joke is like 30 years old. And I I told it to uh, Ella last night, and she was cackling over that. And she thought I was the most clever individual ever. And I was like, I I just did not. I wanted to bask in that cleverness. And I was like, oh, babe, that joke is so old. So I've been hearing it all my life. She's like, it's great. It's a great joke. So thank you guys for laughing. I know you've heard that before. But what does one accord mean? It means this, to be in one mind, thinking the same thought. Again, think back to a bobsled team. Here they are, once again, as individuals, but standing together as a team. But once they grab onto that bobsled and they begin to move, Four individuals begin to synchronize with one goal, and that goal is to cross the finish line. And so as they begin to move, and they count it out, and they're starting to push that sled, and they run, in one moment they are all jumping into the bobsled, and four individuals become one unit with one thought the entire way down. Cross that line and do it as fast as we possibly can. One person in the front is steering. All the rest are using their body weight to shift, but they have to tuck in together, duck their heads, get low, beat the wind resistance, and they're running together to get to the end. And the cool thing is, is when you look at this language, Paul is saying contend. We are contending together as we run this race. And in the Greek, that word is sin athleo. And if you take away the S-Y-N of sin athleo, what do you have left? Athleo. That's where we get our English word athlete. Work together as a team. And Paul says this, is, this, this word is only used three times in the New Testament. All three times by Paul, but twice here in Philippians. Once, as you see right here, and then forward in Philippians 4.3. He's talking about two women who are having an argument with each other, and he's saying they need to come back together in unity because at one time they contended for the faith with him. They were teammates with him. We are all one mind, moving in one goal to one place as we ran this race together. And see, this beautiful word athlete continues to paint this picture for us of running a race together, even if you are doing it as an individual. See, I swam in high school. That was my sport. And when you swim, there are times when you are in a relay and you are, other people are jumping in the pool after you, but most often you are swimming by yourself. But the cool thing about ath- athletics and sports is that you are never swimming by yourself. Even though I'm the one striving to get to that goal, what's happening on the sidelines? All of my teammates are cheering me on. Together as one unit, we have one goal, finish the race, cross the line. And so Paul is saying the same thing. We as citizens of heaven stand together 
united in a thought, united in a goal to cross the finish line. The third thing he says here is after we stand together and are united together, he says also, do not be afraid. Verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. So the third thing on that is do not be afraid and quit the team. See, that word frightened has a specific image that goes with it. It's the image of a horse that's been spooked by something. If any of you have been around horses or know people who ride horses, you know what it is when a horse gets frightened, especially if it is by like a rattlesnake or something else like that, is that the horse begins to flip out. And it begins to try to get away from whatever is spooking it. And so what Paul is saying is in the same way you, are, you can watch horses run in chariot races, but if the horse gets spooked in the middle of the race, it begins to deviate off course, it begins to leave, and it pulls its driver away. He's saying you don't do this. As you stand firm and race towards the goal together, don't ever get afraid of the opposition and quit the race. He said, because opposition is going to come. Again, coming back to the movie, while they portray that, the great enemy of the Jamaican bobsled team in the movie is, I think it's like the East Germans. And they keep teasing this group from Jamaica that they're coming from a tropical environment and they have no idea what they're doing and they keep throwing obstacles in their way and they keep trying to scare the Jamaican team by saying, you're going to crash, you're going to wreck, you guys can't do this. But what does the team do? They persevere and they're not afraid of wrecking. They keep plowing forward because the enemy wants to attack you when you're moving together as a unit See, worthy citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worthy citizens of heaven, run the race together to the very end. Third thing I want to bring up, and this one's harder. Certainly, I'd love to spend more time in these few verses, but look at the second part of 28 through 30. Here we'll see the blessings of a worthy citizen, the blessings of a worthy citizen. And we really do need to take all this together as one sentence to understand what Paul is saying in this. He says in the second part, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I have. He says, you're running together. You're finishing the race. You're not being scared is a sign to your enemies of destruction and your salvation. See, a united front teaches everybody. Again, think of it this way in the movie. After the Jamaicans wreck, they have been disqualified from the Olympics. They have not finished that race in the manner by which the Olympic Committee wants them to finish. But undeterred, they get out of their bobsled and as a unit finish the race. Though there be obstacles and oppositions in their way, 
they finish the race. And if you watch and watch the actual event, not the movie, because the movie starts doing that 90s slow clap thing as they start crossing that finish line. And I mean, this is cheesy. But the reality of it is, is you watch these guys as they get up from this tremendous wreck. And as they pull their bobsled across the line, every single person watching is applauding them. The whole world is transfixed on the Jamaican bobsled team. And though they lost the Olympics, they won the day. And I can tell you right now that if you are in the least bit familiar with those events in 1988, the only team you're aware of is the Jamaican bobsled team. You cannot tell me who won the bobsledding event in 1988. You probably can't even tell me the countries that participated in it. But you'll remember the Jamaican bobsled team. Why? Because though they had opposition, they finished the race and it was a sign to all who watched them of their victory, even though the world said they were defeated. You catch my meaning? And the same thing is being said here. As you run the race and you race together and opposition comes up against you, the opposition that tries to break you and tries to stop you and tries to persecute you will be a sign to all who see it that God is at work. To understand better what's being said here and the imagery that Paul is painting, go to the last verse where he says, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had. That word struggle can mean two things in the Greek. It can mean competition or torture. And the image that's being painted by Paul in this beautiful way that he writes is he says, I want you to think of the Colosseum. I want you to think of that grand Colosseum in Rome. And on a Tuesday, you could show up and there'll be a great horse race displays of athleticism. And on Wednesday, you could show up and Christians will be put in the middle to be slain by wild animals. He said, but in that moment, in a place where people spectate, where Christians may be placed out to great torture, he said, the whole Colosseum will see them, and though they may cheer their death as they die well, they are a sign to all present of the victory of Jesus Christ. Think of Perpetua, woman in the second century who was a Christian and was thrown into the Colosseum to die. Most people, when they are thrown into the Colosseum, they run they try to get away from the animals. They break ranks. They are not united. And they die horrible deaths. Perpetua and her friends died a horrible death. But they stood arm in arm in serenity as the animals killed them. And instead of all those watching them die, take joy out of it. 
they shed tears for the noble death of these Christians. It was a sign to them all. And that's why Paul says this, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That word granted means you have been blessed in this way. You have been blessed with belief in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, but you have also been blessed to suffer for Jesus. Now this word suffer, we've talked about suffering before, where we suffer illness, we suffer loss, we suffer bad relationships. That's not what he's saying here. He is specifically talking about persecution, where the Christian is targeted because they are a citizen of heaven. And he said, you will be blessed to suffer for Jesus. Friends, we are swiftly moving in a nation where persecution will come against the Christian. It is starting now. This is not some small inconvenience. This is, does not mean that our feelings are hurt. It means that the citizenship of the country desires that you would pay honor to the God King and call them the Lord and Savior. But you stand firm for Jesus, knowing that He is the true Lord and Savior, and you are persecuted for it. He said this will be a blessing. How and in what way? The best example of this is not a movie. The best example of this is the cross of Christ. See, Satan in one moment cheered the death of Jesus. I have won. He's dead. And yet the cross was a sign to all of the victory of Jesus. Death has no sting. Satan was destroyed in the moment he cheered the death of Christ. This is exactly what Paul is saying. You have been blessed with suffering in the same way Jesus has. So that as you die, as you bear up under the obstacles coming against you, you are making a sign for the world that though they cheer your destruction, they see the victory of Christ. Paul emphasizes this by saying, friends, you have seen it before with me and you see it now. And he's talking specifically of Acts 16 when he has gone to Philippi and is planting the church there the first time. Remember what happens in that moment is there's a young woman who is able to tell the future. And she keeps following Paul, and Paul prays that the Spirit would leave from her, and it does, and her owners are angry. And they complain to the magistrates, and they come after Paul, and they drag him into the center of the city, and they beat him with rods, and they throw him in jail with no trial whatsoever into a deep, dank dungeon. 
The Roman authorities do this to him. And yet in the midst of that, we see that the jailer is radically saved and as his whole household. And then the next morning, they pull Paul out and they say, you can go, you're free. And Paul says, are you going to treat a Roman citizen this way? And they become desperately afraid. We didn't know he was a Roman citizen. What Paul is saying, it does not matter if Rome treats its own this way. Imagine how much worse they treat a citizen of heaven. So you saw it happen to me. You see it happen to me now. You are joining with me in this way. But, oh, stand firm, church, because your suffering through Jesus Christ brought on by him because you are his will be a sure sign to all of your enemies, not only of the destruction of the enemies of God, but also of the grace of God that saves so radically. And so he says in this way, this is what it is to live a life worthy as a citizen of heaven, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stand united, unafraid, moving forward through any obstacle as a sure sign of Jesus Christ's saving power. And so 2,000 plus years later, we hear his words. O church, stand united as a team. Run the race together of one mind, finishing across the line. Not afraid of what this world will do to you. And church is going to do it. He said, but stand firm. So that as you stand on that podium, even if that podium is a cross raised up, the banner of heaven is with you. The anthem of heaven sings loud. And Jesus Christ is glorified in that moment. May we all live worthy of the citizenship of heaven. And as I close today, I offer this as an invitation. As we take a moment to examine your life and say, how am I living worthy as a citizen of heaven of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I living worthy in this way? Am I worthy of the banner? Am I worthy of the anthem? And if I'm not, what needs to change in my life? That change today may very well be salvation. You look and say, I've, I've never worn the jersey. I've never been for Christ. I've been for Rome. I've been for the United States. I've been for pleasure. I've been for money. I've been for whatever. And today's that day that you say, I want to be Jesus's. I want to run worthy. Then if that's you today, come forward. I want to talk to you. I want to share with you. If you're watching online, there's links. Click them. Let us know so we can reach out. But here in a moment, I'm going to pray, but before I do, I'm going to take a moment of just quiet. I want us to examine that.
And once I pray and Vern sings, there's an opportunity. You can come forward, speak to me about Jesus. Come forward and pray. If you want to join this church, we'd love to have you. Come forward and join this church. But if you claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, take this time and say, am I a citizen of heaven living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or am I a citizen of this earth living worthy of my own desires? Let's take a moment and examine ourselves, and then I'll pray. Father, in the quietness of this moment, Lord, I pray that you would affect every heart present. Father, that we would examine our hearts and our citizenship. Father, that we would be after you and your will and your word. Father, that we would stand united as a body, not divided. Father, that we would run this race in one mind to finish and finish well. Father, that we would not be frightened of what we read or hear or experience as the enemy tries to stop us from being worthy citizens. But, Father, that we would count it all joy, the blessings of suffering, so that it may be a sign to all those watching of the power and might and beauty of the cross of Christ, so that, Father, even if they seek to kill us, they themselves would be saved, for they see in us Jesus. Lord, convict us in this moment to set aside the petty, silly things of this life, and, Father, to put on the jersey Lord, to run with everything we have. And Lord, that our eyes ever be heavenward so that the world may say, why are they different? Strengthen us as only you can in your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would affect any heart that is not yours, that they would surrender today and be glorified for eternity. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you please stand?